What's up? Welcome to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Patrick Sheehan, and I am here with a guy who doesn't brush his teeth with a bottle of Jack anymore, Dave Martinson. Just eating them fermented crabs from Davos, dog. You're right back in the game five minutes later, right? <laughs> Can't blame you. We got a packed show today. We're going to be uh, talking about episode five, East Watch of Game of Thrones, Kesha's Rainbows. Dave saw a movie. There's a lot of streaming news. But I want to start with something we haven't really talked a lot about so far, or we didn't talk about pretty much at all since the beginning of the season, with Bachelorette with oh. Rachel Lindsay. Mm. She got married. And uh, she got engaged. Oh, right. To Brian. Brian was the winner. But it was interesting because uh, the way that they had, they split up the final episode this season was they would show when one person got kicked off and Rachel was watching live with Chris Harrison. So then they would bring that person out that got kicked off to talk about. It. So she ends up picking Brian and it came down between Brian and Peter. Her and Peter had like this huge emotional breakup on screen. And you could tell like they even left like saying I love you. And you could tell they were super into each other, like really, really wanted to be together, but Peter wasn't willing to pose. So Rachel's like, I want to be proposed to. I'm only picking the person that's gonna be my future husband. And he's like, I just don't want to propose now. I will propose to you, but I just wanna like have an actual like dating life with you after the show. And Rachel's like, nah, homie. Sounds so like, like a then normal response. <laughs> for a it was like reality show date date. Yeah, it was like the most like it was what normal people do. And Rachel who's been so real and has been like kind of doing the show her way, for some reason really wanted to hold to this show convention and they ended up like when they were talking it out, they were so like snippy with each other and they were obviously both like really into each other still. And the way that that they edited it basically was like Rachel picked Brian only because he would he would propose to her and it's so shitty and made me really dislike Rachel and I don't know man it, it was not good it, it was an up and down season it was a really shitty group of guys I know you didn't watch probably a good season to check out who's the next bachelor among these shitty choices Dean? that's the thing is I, I think Dean is the best choice he'd be the second one that goes from the bachelorette to paradise and then to bachelor uh, with Nick doing it the season before. So, I, I don't know. He's also really young, so it's it's a little tough to see him being the choice, but there's really no one better. So, I, I w- I'd be interested to see if maybe they go back to somebody in a past season who they liked, or if they're like, really, we're going to go with Dean and just try to make this next season as goofy as possible, because he's a, he's a goofy guy. Hmm. So, I don't know. But Bachelor in Paradise starts this week. It's on, actually, as we record right now, so if you're watching live and you're kind of going back and forth between us and Bachelor in Paradise, what's up? And uh, tweet at us at NostalgiaPod with your thoughts on this season of The Bachelorette. And keep following my, my Twitter, Ashley World Peace, for Bachelor in Paradise updates. Are you excited for this VIP? Because it's a lot of, uh, what do you call it, Nick Seasons girls. So this right. is what people like. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle the whole Corinne, the Mario thing, which we did speak on before. But. We're not going to get too far into that mud until we have to. Let's move on to Wind River with your boy Renner. Directorial debut from Taylor Sheridan, as I mentioned, what was it, last week? Yeah, last week. He, of course, wrote Sicario and 
Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water was nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars last year. So Tyler Sheridan's kind of been a rising star in Hollywood, to say the least. And his, you know, his third film he's been, you know, a part of, but his first one that he directed, Wind River, uh, just really expanded. Still not even out that much. It was only like 40-something theaters as of this weekend, but I was able to catch it. And nice. it stars Jeremy Renner as a hunter of predators like wolves and mountain lions out in rural Wyoming, close to the Native American reservation. And Elizabeth Olsen, who's the other lead, comes in as a FBI officer regarding a murder of a Native American woman. And the whole film is really about violence against women uh, on the res. And it's a really beautifully shot movie, as you can imagine, in the Wyoming tundra. A lot of beautiful vistas and a lot of cool shots and snowmobiles and even the transportation looks cool. But overall, yeah, really moving. Uh, John Bernthal comes up in one scene, really powerful, important scene to the movie. And it's tough to really expound upon it without really spoiling it because it's such a character-driven film. But overall, I think it's definitely one of the top movies I've seen this year and really powerful movie with a good message and, of course, great performances. So definitely check that out if you get a chance as it expands to more theaters. You said it was beautifully shot and you know when I think about Sheridan Hell or High Water and Sicario both stand out to me as just like really amazingly aesthetically pleasing films to, to watch and like with a very unique eye almost kind of like Ryan Johnson in a way and it, I mean if you had to think about uh, it's, this is a really hard question because it's such a broad one but if you had to think about like cinematography and like the directors that you think of current best cinematographers who does he is he up there for you uh yeah definitely i'm, I'm not sure who he worked with for cinematography uh offhand but yeah i mean like you think of like guys like roger deakins and the people that i've worked with uh, like inaritu especially mm-hmm. i think is I towards say. the top right now tarantino always has an original look to everything he makes afonso Cuaron, they were ryan johnson yeah. as you said but yeah sheridan looks like he w- wants to continue to direct it's funny he actually used to be an actor he was on sons of anarchy uh, most notably. Really? Who uh, Who was it? I'm not sure. He was just, he was a dude. I mean, you can look him up. He has a pretty distinct face. But he kind of talked about how, we talked about Wind River uh, because it's about, you know, a white lead on a, uh, in, you know, working with Native Americans on the Indian Reservation. People might try and criticize him, you know, for a white savior narrative. We've seen this before. Terrible trope in Western filmmaking, right? But right. when asked about that, he said that he didn't think he could make the movie any other way. Because as a white man who was actually from Wyoming and has lived close to a reservation, the only perspective he thought he could make a movie about was that of the white man. So he, he thought he was being most respectful and most tasteful by basing it around a white guy's experience. Also, there's a good New York Times... That. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a good New York Times profile about how he was really tasteful and how he cast the film, Native American roles in the past. Sometimes they would just cast a guy to be a Native American if they looked like him. You know, sometimes they might be Filipino. But uh, he said he wanted to make sure they weren't just Native Americans or weren't just had the appearance, but also had like the, the spirit and the culture. He kind of goes into that. And as a guy who's lived close to a reservation, it really looks like he's uh, thought a lot about the movie that he made. And it's great that the movie works so well. So definitely recommend it. Uh, if not, none for else, cinematography is definitely unique and worth checking out. It's interesting because we're two-thirds of the way through the year at the end of this month. And... Uh you're starting to see movies that are definitely going to get a lot of Oscar buzz. I wouldn't be surprised if this one got a little bit of Oscar buzz, but the other one that's out right now is, what, Good Time, right? It's uh, the Robert Pattinson revival. Yes, Back sir. in the game, baby. 
So there, there's a lot of really good like, smaller movies coming out right now with limited releases, things like that. So definitely find a theater that can that you can go see these movies and, and take people that enjoy good movies. Speaking of good movies, Disney made yeah. some of the best movies of all time, and, and animated ones nonetheless. But they reported sometime last week that they're going to start their own streaming service by 2019 when all of their titles are taken off of Netflix. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because Disney owns ABC, they own ESPN, and then news came down today, the 14th, that Shonda Rhimes is going to be flopping from ABC to Netflix. So Netflix punching back at Disney. I mean, we've been talking a lot about streaming and, and how streaming is kind of changing the face of, or I guess the way that people take in media. What are your thoughts around this whole back and forth saga? Yeah, really, it's really interesting. So Disney making their own streaming service by 2019 is, I guess, kind of easy to see. Between the ABC shows, Disney XD, as well as all their feature films, they definitely have enough of a library to justify a streaming service existence. But I think the bigger takeaway that most people are saying is, when is we going to hit streaming service saturation? You know, I mean, we already have so many that, in theory, people should be people should pay for. I mean, we know tons of people that will share them or only have a few and bum the rest or use their parents' cable subscription, you know, things like that. Just because if you want to pay for HBO Go for now, Amazon Prime Video, Hulu, Showtime Anytime, CBS All Access is new, and they have exclusive shows like Star Trek Discovery coming out next month. Uh, FX and ABC, a- uh, AMC are expanding. So there's just so many that when is, like, not not enough is enough, but, like, when are people just not going to pay that much because you're going to be paying more than an old cable bill used to cost, you know? Right. So, that being said, I think Disney probably should still shoot their shot because, yeah, they have the library and the, the clout to pull it off, but... I don't think something I would pay for. Well, it's interesting. They've been running a uh, like a, a beta service in Europe called Disney Life, and it's been out since 2015. And they only charge about what's equivalent to about twelve, thirteen dollars, which would be cheaper than most streaming services that you can get. The way I think streaming services are going to end up being, because there are so many, like you said, and I thought that was a really good point, is that you think about a service like the the TV package you can get, where you can start, like like Sling TV. You pay $30 a month, you get all these channels. You pay 40 you get these. You pay 50 you get these. Mm-hmm. It's going to end up where these streaming services are going to band together like that, I can imagine. Some of them are going to team, team up and offer reduced prices for certain streaming services. Like, you'll probably be able to get, like, Netflix and then, like, I don't know, HBO or something like that. Nah, like, I don't, none of the big that, ones that, that's a bad like example, that. but, like, I, I don't know. I, I could see something, though, where, like, you know, Netflix or HBO gets big enough where they end up buying something like smaller with that they can team up and offer a better package than just multiple buying multiple subscriptions at a time. I mean, I think that's really far away if that is going to happen. Uh, and if they did unite, they'd probably unite with other networks. The big streaming giants, I think, all have their own identity that they want to come out on top with. Even like Hulu, I don't think they would really unite with anyone besides the networks they already work with. As you said before, Shonda Rhimes going to Netflix. Not only that, she's getting out of her ABC contract a year early, amicably at that, taking her producing partner as well as the production company Shondaland. And yeah, they're making an original series for Netflix. I mean, obviously that's not going to happen right away, but I think that's really huge because that's kind of something that you could argue was missing in the Netflix original series. I mean, they have like the CBS shows like Fuller House and The Ranch. And they have like prestige shows like Master of None and all the auteur driven stuff. 
like getting Shonda land stuff obviously her big hits Grey's Anatomy Scandal How to Get Away with Murder if she can make a hit like that for Netflix again that's just another arrow in the quiver for Netflix's catalog so huge get because she's one of the most powerful and successful producers in TV yeah and you know the thing about it too is like Shonda Rhimes obviously all the shows you named all of her shows are already on Netflix and they have those rights. So I wonder how they're going to end up and, and how this movie is going to end up shaping the way Netflix is as a platform. Like if they're going to end up doing something like, you know, if you want to, like this is like a Shonda Netflix channel or something like that. Or if you would need to like have like a higher subscription in order to access certain types of streaming services. Like if you want to be able to access these types of shows, you need to pay $17 a month rather than 15 or something like that. Amazon does do that with uh, anime. They have a few like tier things like that. You like add on. It's worth knowing that her big hits like Grey's and Scandal, they'll be they still be on ABC and, until they end, and ABC like owns them. So Shauna's not bringing them to Netflix. And then, as we said before, once Disney makes their own service because they're ABC shows, there won't be a Netflix anyway. So this is really just about all of her new stuff she makes. But yeah, I think the point about tiers to your subscription costs uh, is something that makes a ton of sense for them to do eventually absolutely yeah and actually one note to that is that shonda actually already has a new show that's in development that she's gonna be working on until her contract is up so she'll have one other maybe hit coming out which will also be interesting to see her like produce another hit while she's already knowing she's going to netflix (laughs) but uh, just another netflix note real quick glow which we touched on last week because you finally got around to watching it. You enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed it very much. Season two is confirmed, something we, we talked about a little bit. So looking forward to talking about a really well-done show and with, with some actresses we really like. Let's go to Kesha next, dude. So I know that you're a big Kesha fan. Mm, TikTok on that clock, baby. <laughs> it, so it was interesting because so Kesha hasn't released an album since what, 2013 when yeah. Cannibal, is it called? We Are Who We so. Are was the big hit there. Mm-hmm. So she's on the record, Kimasabi, which is started by uh, Dr. Luke. And I, I think it's been well documented that there's been some legal issues between Dr. Luke and Kesha. But just basically to give a quick rundown, Kesha has filed in court charges against Dr. Luke for contract breaches, for sexual assault, for basically just be you know, a lot of really horrific things none of it has been settled yet and actually dr luke has countersued kesha for defamation so it's it's a really tense situation and to even add something on top of it kesha is still under contract for two more albums with dr luke's label so it's you know on top of that kesha has also gone through rehab in the past three years and lots of therapy so it's you know this album had a lot to draw on uh, content-wise, and actually, I think this is probably in this uh, safe thing to say Kesha's deepest album, because her first albums were basically about partying. <laughs> yeah, this is very different, obviously. Her last hit actually was "Die Young," you know, and that's a big like radio jam, you know, party song, like, right? Pop, pop crossover song, right? And yeah. since then, it's been what, like almost you know, about five, four or five years of inactivity for a big pop star, which is obviously you know bad and on its own set before you factor in all the terrible things that you mentioned and in that time uh, makes sense that she may have desired to release more lyrical music and that's clearly what this album is big departure from uh, her old mm-hmm. her old tunes right 
We saw that in the, the lead single, yeah. which was really powerful. Yeah, Praying is a you know, classic just ballad. But the album actually draws on rock and folk and, and country a lot. And doing a little bit of background on it, I guess Kesha's mom, her name is P.B. Siebert, was a, a country singer back in like the 70s. And there's a lot, I mean, Dolly Parton sings a song uh, on this called Old Flames. There's a song called Hunt You Down, which sounds just like a, Connie, a Johnny Cash tune. And then she also works with the Eagles of Death Metal for one song, as well as the Daft Kings horns. And she's she used, obviously, new producers other than Dr. Luke because of all the ongoing stuff, and obviously she doesn't want to use him anymore, but including song with the guy from uh, Ryan Lewis was one, and the other one was, uh, why is his name escaping me? I... I can't find where I wrote it down in my notes. Oh, Ben Folds. That, that's who it was, Ben Folds. So it's interesting. She's drawing a new stuff, and she's obviously trying to go in a more mature direction. And I think not working with Dr. Luke and, and being able to explore herself as an artist is, is a helpful thing, because mm-hmm. it seems like Dr. Luke, from what everything I read, kind of put, I don't know about pushed, it, that might be not the right word, but directed Kesha to be more poppy rather than yeah. a more deep artist. Which actually, in the short term, made a lot of sense but it makes an album like this very disjointed. And, like, the first song is such, like, a low, like, folky song, and then it goes right into this, like, hard rock song, and you're just... I literally thought, like, the album was, like, skipping around instead of, like, playing in order, because it was just so... such, like, a shock. Josh Luke is like a Max Martin, you know, he pushes for radio music, you know, pop hits. So even though this album comes out under Kimo Sabi, which I believe is under Sony uh, Records, obviously his involvement... With, you know, the zero of that, so his sound is left behind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you had to check one song off this, I would say "Woman" is probably the one that is a standout. It's it sounds like Kesha, but it's a little bit deeper and it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we'll put that on our playlist, which you can find on Spotify. Nostalgia Best of 2017. Also on our SoundCloud, or if you go to my profile uh, on Twitter at Sheen World Peace, it's linked at the top. So finally, Dave. The Warhammer <laughs> is back, but I'm starting to wonder, because we're obviously moving towards the last, what, eight episodes of Game of Thrones? Yes, yes. Eight episodes of Game of Thrones. Two there's, there's a lot of payoff, right? How much tidying up is too much tidying up, I guess, is my question. Because, you know, we're looking at, at an episode which had a lot of really awesome things happen, but at the same time, I kind of left being like, ah. Like, I feel like, like the stakes aren't as high as they used to be. Does that make sense? I, I, don't, I don't know if I agree with the stakes being as high. I think there's just more consolidated stakes. Gendry coming back is something that wasn't necessary, but at the same time, if, if he manages to survive his Magnificent Seven posse cut with John, which I don't think he will, but if he does, John can make him the Lord of Storm's End, you know, as the new Lord of the house, head of House Baratheon, you know? Uh, Gendry looking like head, young head Christian Bale. Yeah, I know. I mean, from his dad, who you know, he he was strong then. But right. <laughs> you know, I I don't think I don't think it's like anything that's like distracting from tidying up. Like, th- there's not that many loose ends that le- were left. Like we had one Nymeria scene for Arya. You know, oh Gendry's got back to we brought him back probably just to kill him off, right? Like, there's really nothing else left out there. They assumed Arya was gonna show back up with maybe the Golden Company or whatever. But um, other than that, there's not really anything left, so I, 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 don't, I don't think it's a huge, a huge concern. But as far as the stakes, I mean, 
it's funny, we talked about in our Game of Thrones season preview episode, you know, where we lay out our theories and expectations, uh, Sack Leather Contest and Scout the Pod, you know, we acknowledge Stay that plugging. John's uh, mission beyond the wall, which we saw in the trailer, which is about to happen on the show now, we were trying to figure out, like, you know, what that would be. You know, what, is he getting the Horn of Winter? Is he going to get the children of the forest to help? No, no, they're just going to capture a white. Bring it to Cersei. Capture a zombie. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Like, the, they're literally going to... Michonne, is that her name from walking dead michonne yeah michonne they're gonna they're gonna michonne that that shit back to king's landing just but so i guess just to circle back before you get too far off when i say the stakes you have jamie charge across at a dragon and get tackled by braun and sink it seems like into the depths of a hundred foot river somehow and then the next episode starts and he's just you know drifting at the top him and braun come up like it, nothing happens like that light armor, though. Right, exactly. And, you know, I, I know that, that you're in the, the ringer death pool with some of our friends. I almost feel like there haven't been nearly as many deaths as people had predicted or expected this season. And it feels like pretty much like the fan favorites are going to be there next season. Like, I would be very surprised if any of the main characters that we've been following don't make it into season. Yeah, it's looking possible that... Uh... Cersei and Jamie do in fact make it again not something most people are betting on but at the same time I mean and they're having a baby well maybe I don't know if you I thought oh but yeah I mean is there some plot armor going on yeah of course but I mean all these characters are gonna have fitting ends and I'm kind of happy that Jamie doesn't just get randomly roasted that Bronn did save him so he can die a better way later I'm okay with that but yeah is Jor is, is Jor getting getting healed by Sam just to get fucking killed in the snow? You bet your ass he is. And I'm okay with that, too. I know. Sam's going to be like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> but, you know, actually, this actually brought up something I had a question about. Why did they? Why do they even need Jamie and Cersei? Why do they need... Why even ah, bring just, them along? It's just the story that they're they're telling right now. I don't know. I mean, I, it's better than just having Danny just roast off King's Landing. I mean, that's not what they wanted to do, I guess. You know, I, whatever but i mean there is little fingers not out of the woods or not out of the game yet you know this source of tension he's concocting between sansa and Arya looks like it could be consequential so you know i think there's still plenty to see on this season and yeah. i wouldn't pass judgment yet until we have the whole season to reflect on as a shorter season with its quick and pace and expedited plot you know we can i think we can reflect on that once we have the whole season as a whole. right and and that's the thing is that even though there's you know i, I think without without the books to draw from and with the somewhat arbitrary timeline that they've set for themselves to finish this up. They've had to you know, cut, cut some corners, do some things that maybe could have used some more time to really suss out. But in the end, if next week plays out the way that everybody's expecting it to play out, and it's one of those episodes that you just like, like it ends and you're just like, whew, like holy shit. It doesn't, like all these little things don't really matter because it, it does something no other TV show on that, that's on currently can really do, which is it just leaves everybody in awe. So what, what do you see playing out next week? I mean, it's the penultimate episode. They've been known for some amazing penultimate episodes. What do you expect to happen, or what are you predicting? Yeah, definitely. Blackwater, Hardhome, Battle of the Bastards, a lot of great ones. I think everyone except John and one other person will die. I think that last person is probably the Hound, maybe Tormund. I think Barak and Thoros are 100% goners. Gendry probably too. Jorah probably as well. So that's what I think is going to happen. Uh, whether they get the white or not, I don't think really matters at all. If you look in the scenes of the next episode, it's on their YouTube channel. You saw at the end of the episode, you know, it's like a minute tease. There are a bunch of guys with torches leaving the Night's Watch. I assume that's 
Ed and some Night's Watch brothers. So maybe they get on the action. Maybe Ed get, kicks the bucket. I don't know. But yeah, other than that, like obviously that's that's easy to predict, right? Like you can see everything that's going to happen from the trailers, the scenes, and how the episode ended. But Danny and Tyrion and Jamie and Cersei, it's a little hard to foresee. I mean, guys like uh, Varys and Melisandre, uh, what happens with them, I think, is, you know, who knows. But I think last episode really kind of hammers home the point that Jon is by far and away the main character of the story, not Danny. A lot of people have already been saying this, but Gilly stumbling across the fact that Jon actually was a legitimate heir to Rhaegar Targaryen, and thus the rightful heir to the, the Targaryen throne and the throne. That source of conflict between Danny and Jon, I think, could be fascinating if it does come to that. So whether that, I think that, or at least John's identity, that and John's identity will finally be learned by everyone by the end of the season. Right. So seeing what that means, I think is going to be awesome. What do you think of Sam just being like, yo, nice watch, or nice watch, Might Maesters, peace out, I'm out, of the, I'm out of the Citadel, I'm heading back to my boy. Yeah, he was t- tired of being uh, patronized, you know, clean, cleaned up that poop and uh, getting all the scrolls he didn't want to read, so uh, that's cool, and you know, now with uh, Dickon and his uh, old man Randall uh, roasted, he's technically the heir to Horn Hill. I mean, he left the Night's Watch. But I don't know. Can he hold sure. lands? Not really. I mean, John can just say, you can do whatever, whatever you know. So that's in right. play. Uh, and he has a Valyrian Steel Sword, Heartsbane, that he stole off Randall's mantle last season. So that, that could be useful. So, yeah, there's a lot more to uh, happen this season and should be pretty crazy. I guess my only question really at this point is, where is Euron? Dude was kicking ass the first couple episodes and he's been kind of MIA. Next time there's a fight for Cersei's forces, I'm sure he'll be there. Probably King's Landing on boats, you know. Is he, if Cersei decides to join up with him, is he going to fight with everybody else? I can't, I can't imagine that. Uh, you mean Euron changing sides? I don't think he would, no. He seems pretty nuts. I mean, if this mission is successful and it somehow does work to like convince every, uh, Cersei and Jaime that they need to team up, is Euron going to be like, oh, okay, I'll just fight with everybody else now? I can't imagine that. It's not going to be successful. It's not even worth entertaining. <laughs> oh, shit. All right, well, we'll see. Also, so, also it, of note, no one in the posse is wearing hats because, you know, camera angles and faces you making. Also, Ghost, very useful on this ranging. Not yeah. there, because you, you know, money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you go into, like, a devastating winter storm, you probably at least want to wear, like, some earmuffs or something. <laughs> Help a brother out. But they, they all have long hair, pretty much, so maybe they'll just... Yeah. That, I don't know. But also, also shout out to Kit Harrington, who's fucking short. It's <laughs> like 5'8", yeah. 5'7". Five five most good actors are, though, right? Tom Cruise, yeah, like, 5'6". Bruno Mars, really, really short, too. Talented guys are short sometimes. It's okay. Just funny because he's such a badass and he's not actually that imposing. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, Jon Snow. He's so emo, man. Like he even when, he's just sitting on that cliff by himself. I saw that the dragon He he does that so much. Like does he just that, take time out of his day to go sit by a cliff and ponder all day? Just focus on the goals, man. <laughs> There's no time for this. <laughs> you have seen. Uh, John. All right. Well. It will definitely uh, be talking next week because it looks like this is going to be a classic episode coming up. So if you want to hear more Game of Thrones talk, follow Dave, myself, and the pod at Martin Swagger, at Sheeny World Peace, and at Nostalgia Pod, respectively, on Twitter. Follow us on YouTube. You can subscribe right there. And yeah, please subscribe. It's really helpful. If you listen to us on MP3 somewhere, if you don't want to use YouTube, that's okay. But 
help us out with subscription. It really helps us get uh, noticed. So that would be cool. Yeah, and if you leave comments or reviews on iTunes, we'll read them. We'll, we, we want to interact with you guys. So give us some feedback on what you want to hear. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be an exciting week. Game of Thrones, probably some music coming out. I haven't had a chance to really look. Uh, ASAP Ferg, second mixtape out Friday. Ghost Driving, also out Friday. Logan Lucky, Steven Soderbergh film with Adam Driver, Channing Tatum, Daniel Craig, Katie Holmes, many others. You mean Channing Tatum. For that. Yeah, got so many chains, they call me Channing Tatum. Hopefully, hopefully I'll get a chance to see that. Or, if I can find a theater, Good Time would be great to see. And Wind River, watch that too. If I get, uh, That's probably like third on my list at this point, but I'm going to try to get to it. But, in the meantime, thank you for listening. We love you. Peace out!